Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most heinous, the most bizarre, the most high-profile homicides in Maryland are discussed, they are profiled, and they are examined. And in this season, for season nine, the focus is on revenge. Revenge is mine, said the Lord. <laughs> and I will repay, say the Lord. <laughs> That's the scripture, Roman 12, 19 through 21, or uh, Deuteronomy 32, 35, depending on whatever Bible you use. But they say that revenge is a dish served cold. And these next 10 cases of revenge murders, they did not fail to deliver just that. The cases that I'm going to focus on, they have a revenge um, motive. That's what the season is. I mean, that's what the focus is for season nine. And um, basically, it's like, you know, the person or the killer was like, I'm going to pay you back for something that I feel like you did to me. You know, some people just cannot let shit go. You know, that's in their nature. That they would rather happily spend the rest of their lives in prison than to just let things go and move on. And for this, you know, next case of revenge that I'm going to profile is is uh, the beating death of 52-year-old Donald Robinson. And just like I've done in all the other episodes, there the unsolved un uh, a portion of this podcast, like why my words are twisted twisted for some reason. But anyway, a portion of this podcast um will be uh reserved for an unsolved homicide that needs special attention. And uh this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 33-year-old Rene Orlando Lopez. I don't, I don't know what's going on tonight, but anyway, let's just get right to it. Um, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Many of you already know, look, I've been to jail before. Twice, actually. Never been to prison. And to me, in my opinion... From my experience, um, jail is like the closest experience to death that you can get without actually dying. As a matter of fact, dying is actually a preference. It's like the noise, the routine, the other inmates, the COs, the rules... The regulations, the goddamn food, if that's what you want to call it. You know, I don't know how people keep going back and forth, back and forth, like a damn revolving door. I don't know how y'all do it. Nothing, but nothing except one thing could get me to go back to experience all of that all over again. Where I'll be forced to sit and stare at those baby blue walls, if they still got blue walls. During that whole experience. It's only one thing. That I always say that it's only one thing. That could make me experience that. 
slow death and hell on earth experience again. And that's, it's only one thing that can make me go back, basically. And that's if you harm any one of my kids. You know, I'm telling you, as a parent, if somebody harms one of my kids or one of your kids, especially if it involves, you know, abuse, especially sexual abuse, let's just put it out there, or rape as a parent, you be willing to risk it all to protect your kids. You know, that fucks a person up for life. And it's just, you know, as a parent, you don't you don't know what will come over you if your kid would tell you something like that. You really don't. Well, on one Labor Day weekend in Reservoir Hill in West Baltimore City, a father did just that. You know, sex offenders, pedophiles, rapists, to this day, they are some of the most hated and the most detested people on the planet. As a man or woman in this day and age, if you have been convicted of sexually abusing a child or convicted of raping a woman, even if you have served your time and been convicted or whatever, even if you've been to jail, you know, you served your, your, your prison sentence or whatever, you still stand a huge, huge chance of being heavily discriminated against, denied housing, you know, denied friends, um, definitely denied certain jobs, certain lifestyles, just because, like the victim you abused, then you, the abuser, sometimes will always be reminded constantly of what you are and what you did. Um, there's no known cure for pedophilia. So if you can't control your urges and stuff like that, then you can't be around other people. But anyway, 52-year-old <sighs> Donald Robinson was a convicted sex offender. In 2003, Donald pled guilty to a third-degree sex offense charge he served a little slap on the wrist sentence and he was back on the streets a short time later. Ten years later, in 2013, Donald got into trouble again for breaking into a woman's room at a boarding house and beating her up. Donald had pled guilty to second degree assault for this particular charge, but he was released literally just a few days after he got locked up. Soon, uh, Labor Day weekend, on uh, September the 2nd, 2013, Donald was a free man walking the streets of Baltimore City when, in all actuality, based on this prior sex conviction charge, Donald probably shouldn't have been released that easily and that early anyway. But anywho, which for some reason Baltimore was known for just releasing people out on the street, the more violent you are. I don't understand what they got going on. But anyway, um, Donald, anyway, anyway, Donald was out. He was walking the streets. 
He was in the 7, uh, 800 block of Lenox Street in Reservoir Hill, which is in like uh, Northwest Baltimore City. But see, this is how small Baltimore is. This is how Baltimore works in the city of Baltimore. Donald walking down the street, minding his own business. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a 19-year-old woman starts screaming and yelling, he raped me. He raped me. He's a sex offender. He's a sex offender. That's the man that raped me. He raped me. Wow. Let me tell you something. Can you imagine that? You cannot do... It's like... What time was this? It's like 7 something afternoon. You cannot do that shit and be more. And just think you're going to free nilly just walk on down the street after somebody screaming at you. You just, it's just not, you just not going to do it. People heard that shit, including the, the girl's father. Her father called out to Donald, who he didn't know. And Donald ignored, he ignored them and just kept on walking up the street. So her father started yelling too, stop that guy, stop him. He tried to rape my daughter. That's the man that tried to rape my daughter, stop him. So Donald kept on walking fast, like he ain't hear nothing. Two 17-year-old brothers who had been playing basketball, they heard all the commotion, they heard everything that was going on, they saw the whole thing, and they heard the words, sex offender, and stop him, and that's all they needed to hear. This is B-more. So they did what came naturally to them. Growing up in Baltimore, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, I'm, this is not an exaggeration. People that's not from here will never understand that. You could get fucked up just that easily just walking up the street and somebody yelling at you that you're a sex offender. So these two 17-year-olds that they didn't even know, they walked up to Donald and they got in his way so he couldn't just walk off, like basically blocking his path. So Donald kept saying, obviously he wasn't walking fast enough, but Donald kept saying, nah, you got the wrong guy, you got the wrong person, and it wasn't me, it wasn't me, I ain't do nothing, it wasn't me, I don't even know what you're talking about, it wasn't me. So the two teenagers was like, yeah, you did it. Yeah, you did it. I mean, I don't know what made them think that, that he did it. They don't even know him. But all of a sudden, they started swinging on the dude. And then the girl's father jumped in. And then the girl who was screaming that he got raped, she jumped in. And then he just basically got banked. And then people just, like, out of nowhere, they, they found out he was a sex offender. And they jumped in, too. Somebody picked up one of those big orange, like, traffic cones that you use to stop traffic or, like, construction or whatever. And they started beating him with that. And by this time, Donald, like, he had fallen on the ground. It was just a mess. People kicking him and stomping him. As many as 10 other people had jumped in to beat up this dude right there on the street in the middle of the day. Well, actually, it's about 7 o'clock. Strangers was kicking him and punching him. The woman who said that Donald had raped her, she even ran over and sprayed pepper spray in his face. Like all of this going on. And in the end, Donald lay motionless on the street. Like this was a scene out of a freaking movie or something. Just minutes he had been alive and well walking down the street. Somebody called the police. And when they responded to the area at around 7.30 p.m., when the cops got there, they tried CPR on him. Um, they tried to resuscitate him and all of that. 
and they rushed Donald was rushed to Sinai Hospital. I think it was Sinai Hospital where he was pronounced dead at around 8:06 p.m. Like I said, less than an hour earlier, Donald had been alive and well walking the streets of Baltimore. The whole murder was taped or recorded on Baltimore City's citywide police surveillance camera. Yeah, for those of y'all who not from Baltimore and don't even know what that is, yeah, um, Baltimore crime is so bad that they got like uh, it's a camp, it's cameras in certain places literally watching you. It's cameras, pay, uh, I guess they on like the street pole, light poles or whatever. I don't know, but either way. It could just focus and zoom on crime like it ain't nothing because they got no choice but to babysit city residents because, you know, it's, it's that out of control. But anyway, shortly after the police got on the scene, um, they arrested the woman who started, you know, who started saying that she was raped in the first place. They arrested her father and they arrested the two 17-year-old boys who had jumped in and were also involved in this whole vigilante beating or murder and they all were charged they charged every last one of them with first degree murder a witness to the murder told reporters in his words these were the words that he said he said i watched a group of people chase him down as he walked down the street he kept saying i didn't do it i didn't do it and they said yeah you did he was saying, you got the wrong person. I didn't do it. So then the guy was walking beside him and they started swinging on the guy. And I kind of politely, as a Christian person, said, you all leave him alone because he looked like he was a little intoxicated. So they hollered, no, we're not going to do that. Yep, sounds about right. Let's be more. When this case went to court, the girl's father attorney said that um, she, he basically said that his client was simply doing what any father would have done. And he basically reacted the same way that any normal father would have done. His words, what the, his attorney said was, in his words, he said what my client was doing, what any father would do, trying to protect his daughter. Let the facts come out. Let the truth come out. Let's wait until, let's, let's wait, uh, Let's wait until the fact. Let's wait the. Fa <laughs> let's wait on all the facts, and I think it'll shed a light, a lot of light on the circumstances. And the woman's lawyer, uh, she gave a comment to the press saying that his client, she had basically she was upset and frustrated because Donald hadn't gotten a harsher sentence than what he had gotten for breaking into her roommate's uh, dorm room and sexually assaulting her. Even though, you know, she had never reported none of this rape or anything to the police. That was a little bit, you know, weird. But the judge was like, still, that didn't and should not justify a call to the community to impose a violent retribution on this individual. And he sentenced the lady that said she was raped to 10 years in prison with four of those years suspended for basically starting the murder or the attack on Donald that ended with him being beaten to death. So basically she got six years for that. 
um, the two brothers who had actually jumped in the fight, they received a 10-year prison sentence with all of their time suspended. So go figure on that one. And um, the father, the father who also participating in the murder, he got a 10-year sentence with everything eight years suspended. Basically, he only had to serve two years. Now, ugh. Which is weird because of the brothers, I guess because they were 17 and, you know, teenagers, they got off on that one. But I chose this as one of Marilyn's most notorious revenge cases because look at the obvious. You know, this is how justice is done in B-more. Especially when it's um, a walking sex offender. There are other cases. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, that could be in another another focus or another season in itself. He wasn't he wasn't the only case where that I know of a walking sex offender that got beat up or killed because of his record or because of what he was accused of doing. Even if this wasn't true, like what he was saying, he had that on his record. So uh, I'm kind of thinking you did it. I'm kind of thinking you did it. I mean, just because, why would she, uh, just don't make sense. You know what I'm saying? A, a woman knows. Uh, did he deserve to be beat to death? I'm not, how can I judge? I'm not, I'm not, who am I to judge? I will say this. Um, this is crazy because literally around the same time, I lived in this area. I lived right around the corner on Utah. Right when this happened. And yeah, I think, yeah, 2013. Yep, I was still there. And it's just like crazy because I didn't see this or see any remnants of it. I didn't run around the corner and be like, oh my God, it happened right here. But I know that playground where, you know, the kids were, the two boys were playing basketball at. Um, that's not normally a quiet block, but it's Reservoir Hill. Um <laughs> That construction was always going on over there. So somebody picked up one of those orange cones and went crazy. This is insane. And it's like, yeah, I, I remember this. I remember this clearly. Like I said, I'm going to ask, ask the question is, you know, did he deserve this? You know, we shouldn't take the law in our own hands. And we should let God be the judge of that. But their light sentences didn't reflect that. Obviously... The, a judge or a jury, they thought differently and kind of really, really sided with them. Their sentences, these are some light-ass sentences when you think about it. You know, for somebody that got beat, you know, in the middle of the street. So, wow, this is how justice is served in B-more. You know, people are not really scared of jail time and prison time like how it's portrayed to be. They're not scared of that no more. I mean, I think from what I hear, they got cable, you can get internet from what I, I believe. I'm, not, I'm under the impression you can. But I say it all the time. You know, prison and the Department of Corrections is not really a deterrent for crime, especially homicide. The And especially when you're dealing with a motive of revenge. Sometimes revenge is so sweet to people 
that they would rather go to jail. They'd be like, ooh, I just, I'm sorry. I had to do what I had to do. So I'm sorry. That's why I had to select this one as one of Maryland's most notorious revenge cases occurring in Maryland. Moving on, moving on right into this episode's Unsolved Homicide. And like I said earlier, just like in every single episode that has been in this podcast, although a lot of attention and focus is placed on um, notorious homicide cases that may have received a lot of attention and press from the media, this podcast also shines a light on the many, many homicide cases that we see in the state of Maryland that do not receive a lot of attention or a lot of uh, press or any mention on Murder, Inc. or anything like that. Uh, these types of homicides are so common in Maryland that there's not a lot of time in this podcast to just focus on one. Sometimes when a person gets murdered in uh, the state of Maryland, you know, you don't hear anything else about it other than the initial report of it. And the number of homicides that are unsolved in this state are completely staggering. It's completely unbelievable. You would think that a lot of cases get solved, but really it's obvious that they don't. And it's obvious that homicide detectives, they can't do everything by themselves. You know, solving homicide cases is not like what you see on TV or in the movies or even on... um you know, reality shows or whatever, like the first 48. It's kind of glamorized a little bit like that. In Maryland, it's a little bit slower. The state of Maryland, it's not It's not like that. Homicide detectives are, they're often overworked. They're underpaid. They're stressed out. Can you imagine dealing with that every day? They're outnumbered. Um, and they flat out beaten down all the time. Um, and what happens to cases where there's not a lot of evidence, or if anything, where there's no evidence, no clues whatsoever. What happens to most of these cases where, you know, nobody is talking at all? And especially, you know, cases where there's no clear motive, there's no clues, there's no nothing, there's just a body. What about those cases where, because of the victim's past or current lifestyle, Especially if they were, you know, transgender or something like that. Or if they were um, tricking out on the street or selling drugs. What, what, what happened in those cases where it seems like the detectives ain't really trying to investigate these cases. Because you get the sense or feeling that the detectives, you know, the victim, they quote unquote had it coming a little bit. You know, where you get the feeling that they'd be like, you know, well, what you expect? What happens to these type of homicide cases where the killer or killer simply just, you know, seem like they just got away with everything? You know, it, it, it seems like literally nothing is done with these forgotten homicides, not because nobody cares. And it's not because um, the family stopped caring about them. It's basically because the public simply forgot all about it because we've been bombarded by new homicides. We've been introduced to new cases. And especially now with the holidays coming up, this that's particularly hard on the families. 
you know, it's hard when they have to go through another Thanksgiving or another Christmas not knowing. Trust me, I know what it feels like. You know, well, on this podcast, uh, although I do spend a lot of time talking about cases where the murder did receive a lot of attention, a lot of a lot of press, um, sometimes um, nationwide, or it received a lot of notoriety. On the flip side, a focus is also on homicide cases that did not receive the amount of attention or press that they deserve. And with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of. 33-year-old Rene Orlando Lopez. On Saturday, October 19th, 2019, around 2.15 p.m., Prince George's County Police responded to an apartment building in the 1300 block of Merrimack Drive in Langley Park for a report of a person that was hurt. And once they got there, they found 33-year-old Rene Orlando Lopez shot and not breathing. Rene was pronounced dead at the scene, and as of today, the police still don't have a clue on who shot Rene. So, if you have any information or clues that you want to provide for this unsolved homicide that even I could barely find any information about, please call the Prince George's County Police Department at 301-772-4925. Or you can call Crime Solvers at 1-866-411-8477, which is 1-866-411-TIPS, T-I-P-S. Once again, those numbers are the Prince George's County Police Department at 301-772-4925 or you can call Crime Solvers at 1-866-411-8477. I mean, come on, somebody do the right thing. You can always remain anonymous when you make these phone calls. Thank you for tuning in this week. Now, before I go into my usual routine of how you can access prior episodes, let me mention that if you tuned into me at all last season, I told my listeners that I was producing a true crime documentary that was based off of my very first episode, the episode that I profiled, um, the child killer episode, um, and I think that episode was uh, Adon Canella and Paula Carpio Espinosa. And yes, the documentary is now currently available. It was supposed to be shown on Hulu, Tubi, etc., etc., but because of the extreme graphic nature of the documentary and involving the brutal and horrific beheading murders of three innocent kids, the major networks, they shot away from me. I'm not even going to lie. They basically told me that the documentary was too graphic. It was too much for network TV. And I'm like, what? Hold up. I literally saw the other day a documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer. I saw the head of one of his victims. I ain't never seen none of that before. Like, I've, I've, I've seen a lot, but 
I ain't never seen the actual head. They showed the the head that was in like what was it, a refrigerator or something? I've heard about it. Of course, everybody heard about it, but they showed that, and that's come on. What I'm showing is not y'all just tripping because it was kids, basically. You know, and I guess because the documentary does include the actual crime scene photos. This is what Savage Life Productions is all about. Is basically revealing true and unfiltered stuff. This is not a podcast or a documentary production company that is trying to make money or nothing like that. It's basically just bringing y'all the truth. And I refuse to pull these photos from the document. I did alter them as much as I could, but I refuse to do, you know, anything additional to this documentary. So that's one of the main reasons why it's not really on, you know, major network TV or nothing like that. Like, you know, the other ones are. Well, I'm not saying it won't always be that way, but if, if they're going to trip like this, and they'll tell them what they're going to do when I really start putting stuff out there. So, you know, I don't know. But either way, that's one of the main reasons why it's available email only. You email, you you um, go to my website, you make a request for it. Basically, just say, look, send me, I want to see the documentary. And provide your email address, and boom, I send you the documentary. It's going to come to you in a file called something called we transfer and you're gonna like it you're gonna watch it um <laughs> i shouldn't say you're gonna like it but you're gonna be intrigued i will say that because it is very um brutal if you're into true crime i mean this is a true crime podcast ain't it like why would it be censored you know because of the brutal nature of the crime scene photos they add to the emphasis of the innocence of Adon Canella and Paula Carpio Espinoza. In order for me to fully emphasize the fact that they did not commit this horrible homicide, I had to show what was done to these kids with no sugarcoating. You can either, you know, there's no way the victim's uncle and cousin committed these murders that were extremely brutal. There's no way. And if you watch the documentary, you'll see who I believe these murders were committed by. Either way, the documentary is available, like I said, via email only. It's not for everybody's eyes. And this documentary was not produced to make money or to, you know, basically up the podcast downloads or anything like that, which is another reason why I didn't choose the network route. I can't and I will not be censored, especially when it comes to true crime and facts and an injustice, a basic injustice that is currently going on that nobody seems to give a fuck about. So in order to see the documentary, please visit my website at marylandsmostnotoriousmurders.com and Marylands is spelled MDS. Uh, you can subscribe to the mailing list by leaving your email address and um, send me a request that you want to see the documentary and I will email the video to you within 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours, give or take. I have to warn you though, like I said again, I will put this uh, disclaimer out. The video, yes, it's very graphic. It's very graphic because I deal with real stuff. You know, I've done crime scene cleanup. I've done every aspect of true crime. I shouldn't say I've done every aspect of true crime, but it's graphic. You know, and like I said, Hulu 
uh, TV and you, even YouTube, they all told me no because of its graphic content. And also because, to be honest, I truly believe that with the state of the world that's in nobody, like the way it's, the way the state of the world is in right now, nobody cares that these two illegal immigrants, so they say, are locked up serving life sentences for crimes that they did not commit. Nobody cares as long as somebody went down for it. And that's why I produced the documentary, to open up people's eyes. So why would I sugarcoat that? Jeez, I mean, but anyway, enough of that. But while you're at it, because we can go on and on about how I feel about that particular case. And while you're at it, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast via Spotify for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. And for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the uncensored version of why I decided to start a true crime podcast. A lot of people think that I just woke up one day and then out of nowhere, there's a podcast. But nope. It's not even like that. There is a real therapeutic message to this true crime world of gore and mayhem and sorrow. And if you click on the episode entitled, Why I Do What I Do, you'll understand more about why I'm so weird, so crazy, so fascinated, so enthralled with true crime. And while you're on my website, MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com, be sure to check out any prior episodes that you may have missed with all of the different seasons that we have fo- uh, focused on, like suicide murders, um, sick, twisted, pedophile, or sexual-related type of homicides, or even parasite killings, like the focus was for last season. You can also find links to all of my true crime books that are loosely related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, through 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1, and my local bestsellers, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, and Junkie, A True Baltimore Story. You can also check me out on Season 1 of Payback, which airs for the TV1 network. You can also see me on the Oxygen Network for Black Widow Murders, where I profiled Maryland's female serial killer, Josephine Gray. Or you can check me out on TV1's Justice By Any Means, TV1's Fatal Attraction, where I profiled the North Carolina child murderer, Peter Moses. Or you can find me hosting Killer Kids for the LMN Network, where I profiled teen killers Sarah Citroni and Jason DeLong, who were also profiled for this podcast. Uh, last but not least, um, you can also check me out my latest article for the Crime Report, where I'm also discussing, again, what led me to developing a true crime podcast. Um, also, got to put this out there. Many of my listeners have been messaging me on how they can donate to this podcast. Um, on my website, MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com, there is a donate icon on the website where you can contribute via PayPal, 
uh, Anchor, what's this, Ko-Fi, was it Ko-Fi or whatever they do it, How it's, it's basically K-O hyphen F-I, I don't even know what, how they pronounce it, or the uh, Buy Me A Coffee icons. You can donate, what is it, a dollar, three dollars or something they say. I don't even know that they, they put the limit thing on there. But anyway, thanks so much for y'all support if you decide to do that. Please, please be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome, another high-profile homicide occurring in Maryland. It will be profiled, it will be examined, and it will be discussed on Maryland's most notorious murders. And this has been... A Savage Life production.